0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Seeking God and Summits by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we assemble in your presence and we just open our hearts and our ears and ask that you, the God of glory, would speak to us this morning. I I speak words, but you transform hearts, living God, and I pray this morning that that's exactly what would happen in this room. Praise your wonderful name. Amen. Okay, we're going to um, jump around a little bit, but most of what I want to say this morning will be from Matthew chapter 17. So if you'd like to meet me in Matthew chapter 17, Uh, I remember when I was driving taxis in Tasmania, uh, we had a uh, a, a motorcycle group called the Outlaws, (laughs) and these guys loved to party. In fact, they did it every weekend, but they only had one problem. Uh, Most of the taxi drivers in Launceston didn't want to go out there and pick them up. Now, these guys had a reputation, but you know what? I did, a, I did an enormous amount of work for these guys, and I hardly ever had a problem. I had a few guys that played up and a few guys that misbehaved, but largely I made a lot of money from these guys. But I, I would always be picking them up, nearly every weekend. Uh, I, they would ring me up and say, listen, none of these other goats will come out Will you. Come out and pick us up, And okay, I'll come out. And I learnt some of the lingo, and some of the lingo was they would refer to other people as one percenters. And I can remember sitting in the car going, is that derogatory or is that a compliment or am I a one percenter or what do you actually mean by one percenter? So anyway, it got the better of me and I began to ask these guys, what do you mean by one percenter? You keep calling this guy a one percenter. And I said, you mostly only say it when these guys are dead. Once they've passed away, you go, oh, he was a one percenter. What, you you weren't courageous enough to say that when they were here? But now it turns out that a one percenter is considered a, a, a member of the gang who, who doesn't just ride the bike and he doesn't just wear the jacket and he hasn't just got the patches. He's a one percenter because 99% of the people just ride a bike and wear a jacket. But the one percenters, they encapsulate the whole thing. They, are, they, they live outside the law, they are, they are a gang member through and through. I'm thinking, you guys are one percenters and you're getting in my car at like midnight? But it turns out that uh, so often we can, in the church as well, we have one percenters. And I could refer to some right now that we might consider to be one percenters. And we think that sometimes in the body of Christ, that's for a certain amount of people. I could reel off a few names that we might know. What about Smith Wigglesworth? Anyone ever heard of him? Now, that guy was a one percenter. I've read dozens of autobiographies on Smith Wigglesworth and every single one of them exclaimed the difference that this man possessed. One man would say, travelling in a car with Smith Wigglesworth, you could hear him mutter the words, Sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus. What about men like Billy Graham? Now, Billy Graham was a one percenter. Billy Graham was a man that didn't just preach the gospel, he lived the gospel. Amen. We need more people like that. But the problem is, God's called us all to be 99%, as I'm going to say. But the 99% of us live in a close relationship with God. That we don't just ride the bike and wear the jacket, but we actually, we actually believe what's in this book and we live it. Some of the 1% that I've looked at, people like John and Charles Wesley, people like William and Catherine Booth, William and Catherine Booth founded the Salvation Army. William Booth spent all day preaching in the slums of London and then stammered back in at the end of the day, beaten, spat upon, and he walked into his wife with cuts and bruises all over him and said, I found what God called me to do. What an amazing man. But we should not have a group that are one percenters, but there should be one that we're trying to get into the 99. And the big difference is these guys encountered God. They, You know, we always talk about the promised land, don't we? We always talk about the promised land and we forget that between Egypt and the promised land, there was a mountain where Israel encountered God. The purpose, says the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the purpose of man, if you're looking for purpose this morning, the purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. It's it's the purpose of our lives to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I want to talk to you this morning about God and mountains and one mountain in particular, but I want to talk to you about encountering God and we'll take some examples from men that have in the past, but many men have encountered God powerfully on mountains. Have you noticed that? Read the Old Testament and you'll see that some prominent uh, uh, events in the Old Testament happened between God and man on mountains. What is it with God and mountains? It's an interesting question that I began to ask myself and, you know, uh, I noticed one thing back in Tasmania, I fished on top of mountains and I realised that the vegetation was different, the atmosphere was different. The first house we lived in in Tasmania was the last house on the left up Mount Barrow, 500 metres above the snow line. The lady across the road used to ski down her driveway and down the road. I loved winter because you get snowed in and you couldn't get to school, Mikey. I loved it. But I've been back to the top of Mount Barrow many times and I've noticed one thing, the atmosphere is different. The air is cleaner and there's a lack of people. There's a lack of distractions. So there is God, we see that men meet God on mountains and we so often talk about the fact that we walk up mountains but we forget that the Bible says God descended onto the mountain. He meets us in these places and at the top of the mountain there's no distractions, there's uh, there's nothing of the familiar left. We leave all of that behind. Let's Let's take a few examples. The first one I want to highlight, just paraphrasing, is Abraham. Uh, We heard recently that Abraham uh, was the first man we see that actually worships God. He is told by God to take his son Isaac to the land of Moriah and go up one of the mountains there and offer his son. He encounters God powerfully because he walks up there and God makes a way in the end. But what actually happens to Abraham is his heart is emptied. You see, God challenges. He wants to test Abraham and test his heart. You will not hold Isaac before me. Another one I want to talk about this morning, and we will refer back to this mountain, is Moses and Mount Sinai. And, you know, the Israelites come out of Egypt and they go into the wilderness. They were never actually beginning in the beginning. They were never going to the promised land. The first time that Moses comes to Pharaoh, the whole idea is let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness and we will come back. That changes But they were always going to the mountain. And when they get to the mountain, something happens. God comes down on the mountain and there's thunder and there's lightning. And we will read that even Moses said, I am trembling with fear. And Israel look at the mountain and go, you know what, Moses, you go on up the mountain, we'll stay down here. And too many of us can be like the Israelites. Too often we are happy to dwell at the bottom of the mountain and let everybody else go up to the top. But God has removed the exclusion zone. Have a listen to the words that he tells. Uh, You can read the account in Exodus 19 for yourself. But in verse 3 it says, While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell all the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. What does God mean by coming on eagles' wings? If you If you go anywhere on eagles' wings, how much effort have you put in? None. God says, not only did I bring you to myself, I made it all possible for you to do so. It is by my grace that I have brought you to myself. And I want you to underline two words in a moment if you are in Exodus 19. It says, verse 5 now, Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? Oh, praise God. Yes, I'm his treasured possession. I want to talk to you about treasured possession now and we'll come back to it later. But for God to say that you are his treasured possession, it's a it's a reference to a king who, although a nation may have much treasure, the king would have his own treasure that he highly regarded and that he kept in his room for himself. That was his treasured possessions. There might have been many possessions. There might have been much gold. There might have been much treasure. But the king's treasure was tucked away for him alone. He safeguarded that treasure. He looked over that treasure. The Bible says that we are God's treasured possession. Moses, we know, uh, encounters God in a powerful way on the top of Mount Sinai. We know that he gets the, the, toned, the stone tablets twice because he breaks the first two. He can't trust these guys. The other one is Elijah. We all, we've all heard of Elijah, haven't we? We're going to touch on Moses and Elijah again in a moment. But, you know, Elijah, he, has a, he comes to Mount Carmel. We know what happens on Mount Carmel. He, he challenges uh, the God of that age, the Baals, and, and God comes down in power and, and all the prophets of Baal are, 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 are slaughtered and vaporized. But what happens is Elijah is expecting a huge revival. We see that he becomes despairing, he becomes discouraged, and he becomes despondent. And then he goes to the mountain of God, which is Mount Horeb. And there God speaks to him in a still, small voice. But these men encountered God. I've heard people say, well, you know, that's an Old Testament thing, you know. But as we're going to find out today, it was also a New Testament thing. If you're meeting me in Matthew chapter 17, I want to talk about another mountain experience this morning. I want to talk about three ordinary men that encountered God. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking you have to be well educated or you have to be super holy or you have to be super spiritual, whatever that pertains to or whatever that's supposed to mean, I want to tell you that the three men that encountered something very glorious in this passage and they were none of those things. In fact, the person who is awesome and super and great here is God or Christ, as we will see. As we come to Matthew chapter 17, it is important to note what comes just before, and that is uh, Jesus has just questioned his disciples in Caesarea Philippi. At Caesarea Philippi, we know that Jesus takes his disciples aside, away away from the Jews and away from ministry into a Gentile nation or Gentile part of the nation and it's there that he he sifts the heart of his disciples and he says you know what who do all the people say that I am we're going to answer this question on the 26th of this month and he says who do all the people say that I am some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah and all of them grossly underestimated who he was but then he gets to the point of why he's there and he says who do you say that I am Every person that breathes oxygen has got to answer that question. We'll find that out on the 26th. You've got to answer that question for yourself. There comes a point where all of us have got to answer the question... For ourselves of who Jesus is but against the backdrop of all that is an offer against against all the gods I mean this was they had many idols in Caesarea Philippi they had they had much decadence and it was it was a very gentile worldly kind of a place and it's against that backdrop that Jesus says now who am I to you? Saint Augustine says that Jesus Christ is not valued at all until he's valued above Jesus is always moving us from opinions to conviction. Let's have a look at this event that happens now. And after six days, uh, chapter 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, his brother. He's left the other disciples further down the mountain and he takes three up, his inner circle. If you read the gospel accounts, you'll realize that Peter, James and John were the inner circle that Christ had. It's very good for us to form these circles in our lives of the three people that we trust the most and that it moves out and out. But Jesus, Jesus entrusted these guys more, Peter, James and John. This is not the half-brother of Jesus. That's not the James we're talking about. So Peter, James and John, and he is the one that leads them up the mountain and up this high mountain, which is far away from everything else. We actually don't know which mountain it is. Most commentators guess that it's Mount Tabor but we're actually not told what mountain it is but they I think the point isn't exactly which mountain it is but that we find them up a high mountain and scripture goes on to say he led them up a high mountain by themselves and just as the Lord spoke to us this morning about being still in his presence there is a need for us to remove the distractions in our life. You remember the, uh, Genesis 32, where uh, most Bibles will tell you the heading on that paragraph is that uh, Jacob wrestles with God, but that's not correct. My Bible tells me that a man comes and wrestles with Jacob. <laughs> God comes and wrestles with Jacob, but what happens before all of that happens? What happens before Jacob encounters God? He sends everybody and everything across the river before him. You see, Jacob's by himself. He sends all his wives and all his livestock and all of his possessions. He's in deep turmoil inside of himself because he's about to meet Esau, who he thinks will probably just kill him because they did not end on good terms. We need to learn what it is to get alone with God. We need to learn what it is as individuals to stop long enough and be still in his presence that he can do business with us. All of us that have had kids know what it's like when you want to tell your kids something important but they're distracted. When you want to relay a message to them or you want to impart something to your kids but they won't sit still. And in frustration you say, sit still. I believe that's what God's trying to tell us tonight, this morning. You know what, just sit still. Sit still. Just take enough time to be by yourself and get alone with God. Jesus intentionally has something to impart here. Let's keep reading on. He led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. The Greek word for transfigured is metamorpho, where we get our word metamorphosis. The easiest way for me to describe what this word means is the example of the butterfly and the caterpillar. We have a caterpillar here on one moment and we have a butterfly in the next. A completely different creature. Where else do we find this word in the New Testament? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That transformation is spoken of as a metamorphosis. A complete change in who we are. Basically what happens at the top of this mountain when Jesus is transfigured, it's like he pulls the curtain back and says, I've been here the whole time. If Jesus had not veiled his glory, everybody would have been vaporised. And he was transfigured before them. I want to ask yourselves the question at the moment, what is it that, what deep preparation have Peter, John and James done here? None. How long did they fast before they went up the mountain? They didn't. How much of the Bible did they did they say, hang on Jesus, before we go up, we've got to, we've got, we've got to read 10 chapters. That's not, not what happens. What happens on the top of this mountain is very important, as we're going to see as we move later on, because this is something that's not forgotten by Peter. Peter will reference what happens on this mountain later on. Jesus is transfigured before them. His glory is unveiled and it's revealed. Have a listen to the words here. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Have you ever tried looking into the sun? Can you imagine for a moment the glorious picture that was before Peter, James and John? To see Jesus in all of his glory. John will have a vision of Christ and fall down like a dead man when we read the book of Revelation. So often we picture Jesus with the long blonde hair and the blue eyes. No one in Palestine had blonde hair and blue eyes. Not a carpenter. So often we picture Jesus walking amongst the little lambs. You see the pictures of that, don't you? What about the one in Revelation where he's riding a white horse with a tattoo up and down his leg, saying, King of kings and Lord of lords. John saw a different Jesus in the book of Revelation than he saw in the Gospels. Revolutionised his life. Let's keep reading. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Moses and Elijah. The other gospels give us a little bit more information and tell us that Moses and Elijah were talking to him concerning events that were about to take place. Here we see the representation of all of the law and all of the prophets. They all point to the one glorious God-man in Jesus. And here they are talking about the events that are about to happen because everything in the law and everything in the prophets points to this one moment in history when the God-man will be hung upon a cross for the sins of the world. And who would not have responded like Peter? Verse 4, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. i just said the same thing. i just said, Jesus, this is good. We've got to keep hold of this. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. And he has a desire to preserve, a deep desire to preserve this. This is that good. You ever been in the presence of God? It's like a cloud. I can remember a time. I want to testify one time. I've told other people this. I can remember there was a guy. I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Bill Sabritsky. But he's a New Zealand evangelist. Great guy. And he came to System once and he did some meetings. And I've, apart from this, I've experienced great moments in the presence of God. But I can remember going to this meeting. And uh, uh, halfway through worship, Bill stands up and he says, you will notice a fragrance coming into the room. He said, that is the fragrance of the presence of God. I smelt something in that moment that was so profoundly glorious that I said to myself, I want to sit down in this seat and stay here forever. I can't can't put it into English words what that was like. And there are other people I know that are sitting in this room now nodding their head going, I've been there. I've been there. But how many of us want to live there that's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, this is so awesome. I don't want this moment to ever pass. Have a listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis. This man, Jesus, suddenly remarks one day, no one need fast. Remember Jesus saying this, no one need fast while I am here. Who is this man who remarks that his mere presence suspends all normal rules? It is the God-man that says, all the rules are out the window when my presence is here. It doesn't stop there for these guys. He was still speaking. This is Peter. When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Oh, we desire to know the presence of God. We need to be careful sometimes what we wish for. You know, men that encountered the presence of God in the Bible, the first thing they recognize is the sinfulness that is in their heart. You know what I think the biggest problem with Israel was at the bottom of the mountain? God, you are so glorious that I can actually see a mirror that reflects on my heart. And all of us would say, oh, I need some help here. What does Isaiah say in chapter 6 of Isaiah? He, see, he, sees, uh, he sees the glory of the Lord and his train, the train of his robe fills the temple. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And some angels take a coal from the altar and say, hang on, champ, we'll give you a hand. I I listen to some American preachers, not just American preachers, but others as well. Not bagging anyone out, but I listen to American preachers saying that they've been in the presence of God and they speak like they've just gone down to the shop for a carton of milk. I was in the presence of God the other day. What? Man, I don't know if I'd ever come out. Some of the one percenters in the Old Testament. Have a look at Joshua. Moses goes in and out of the tent. And what does it say about Joshua? Joshua just stayed in there. He had a heart for the presence of God. (sighs) A voice comes from a bright cloud that overshadows them. Imagine being Peter, John and James here. You know, God appears to Job in a whirlwind. I've been in some pretty stiff winds in my time. I've been in winds when I have been fishing when it was blowing that hard that it actually pushed the tide out on one side of the lake. But I've never been in a whirlwind. Job experienced God in a whirlwind. Elijah experienced God in a still small voice. These guys here, let's have a look at what happens to these guys. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son. Listen to the affirmation here. Listen to what the voice has got to say here. This is my beloved son. This is all about Jesus with whom I am well pleased. Listen to the God man. Verse six, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. So would have I. So would have I. But Jesus came and touched them. The only way that anybody in this room, including myself, will spend any more than 10 seconds in the presence of God is because Jesus will touch us. There's a huge difference between the Israelites standing at the bottom of the mountain of Mount Sinai and there's a huge difference between them and us today. And we'll get to that. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them saying, Rise and have no fear Jesus touches them God's presence demands a holy reverence and fear The presence of God I have become come to realize is that God so impresses upon us because it actually is missional Have a listen to this same Peter as we get to his second epistle chapter 1 verse 16 it says for we did not follow cleverly devised myths. What's Peter saying to these saints? He's saying, you know what, we haven't haven't trumped up any neat-looking programs, we haven't come to you with any formats, we don't follow any clever stories, we're not reading from a book. We We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need less myths and more people that are imparting what God imparts to them. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Wow. We were eyewitnesses. Of His Majesty, and what Peter is what Peter is passing on to these saints is what God has passed on to him. Peter speaks from a personal encounter here, but we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, sound familiar? This is My beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. We were with him. There's two important words. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going up to the temple. (laughs) There's a beggar there asking for money, and they turn to the beggar and they say, we don't have any, my paraphrase, we don't have any gold or silver, but what we have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And the beggar does. And later on, as they are underneath the Spanish Inquisition by the Pharisees, these men all talking amongst themselves realize that they are uneducated men that had been with Jesus. I'm not going to turn to that verse right now, but I've got it underlined in my Bible because I take great encouragement from that when it says that an uneducated man had been with Jesus. Later on, they will say of these same men, your teaching has filled all of Jerusalem. Wouldn't it be nice to have that testimony? Jesus, people are saying of us that this teaching has filled all of Brisbane. Hallelujah. And we have something more sure, Peter goes on to say, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention. What Peter is saying in these verses is we're not giving you clever myths. We're not giving you fables. We're not giving you stories. We're giving you the tangible reality of what we have experienced ourselves. I want to finish this morning in Hebrews chapter 12. You might be sitting here this morning going, you know what, well, we've heard about all of these people that have encountered God, but that's for the people of the Bible, that's for the, that's for the special people that, that, that God might call to do these things. We're all special people, by the way. God calls us all <laughs> to do amazing things for Him. You might think that it's only for a select few people. Encountering God in this manner is only for a select few people. You may even be sitting here this morning going, I wouldn't even know what the first step is to take. Well, I want to take heart this morning. Let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, if you've got it with you, then it says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. This is speaking of Mount Sinai. And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. That's what the Israelites said when God spoke, please, we don't want to hear any more. Moses, you go up and listen to this voice. For they could not endure the order that was given, that even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. That's what what God says to Moses. Anybody that comes up the mountain, you need to put an exclusion zone in, Moses, because if they make the mistake of touching the mountain, you'll have to stone them or shoot them with an arrow. Don't even touch them. Don't let them come too close because I might break out against them. And what we see as exclusion at Mount Sinai, let's keep reading. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you've come to a different mountain, says the writer to the Hebrews. But you've come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable angels in festal gathering. What is the writer of the Hebrews saying to us? You've not come to Sinai. You've not come to the place where there's fences and exclusions. You've come to Mount Zion. You haven't come to a place that you touch and walk away from. You've come to a place where they built a city. And you can dwell. I want to encourage every single person in this room this morning that... Mount Zion is a mountain for each and every one of us to climb, that encountering God is for every single person in this room this morning, and the secret is found, climbing your mountain in God, the secret is found in the two words of treasured possession. You see, God said, I will make you my treasured possession, but the journey from the foothills of the mountain to the top of the mountain is me asking you, who is your treasured possession? Do we treat God like this king would treat his treasure? Some years ago, I preached a sermon on Joseph, which was called Sanctify the Lord. And Peter, in one of his epistles, says to sanctify God as holy in our hearts. And what that means is to take God from the place of being ordinary, take God from the ordinary place and put him in the special place. That's what sanctify means. The journey from the bottom of the mountain to the top of the mountain for all of us is where we take God from just the ordinary thing in our life, just another one of the possessions, just another piece of the pie of our lives. We take him from that place and we say, God, you're my treasured possession. I want to put you in this place in my life where you hold the greatest of value in my life. I want you to occupy this place. And I prayed that prayer. So be careful. I prayed the prayer, God, sanctify yourself as holy in my heart. Be very careful what follows those words. Because for 12 months, my world came crashing down. And still does at times. I want to ask everybody in this room this morning, what treasure is in your safe Who have you got tucked away as your treasured possession? Moving God to that position of the treasured possession, moving him to that position where he is our priority, is the journey from the bottom of the mountain to the top of the mountain, where we encounter God. I'm going to ask the worship team if they can come back and tinker as we pray. But if you need prayer this morning, If you have business that you need to do with God, then we open the altar for you this morning. Let's bow our heads this morning in prayer. Father, this morning, each and every one of us in this room, my prayer for each and every one is that, and mostly for myself, Lord, that I wouldn't just ride the bike and wear the jacket. Father, we don't want to stand at the bottom of the mountain and talk about what it must be like at the top. We want to meet you at the top of the mountain. Father, I'm going to pray on behalf of every person in this room this morning that you would move yourself from the ordinary to the treasured possession in every one of our hearts. I'm going to ask, Father, that you would take away everything from our hearts that would clog the pipes. our spiritual hearts. Lord, remove the distractions in our lives. Remove the ordinary in our lives. And Lord, get us alone with you, I pray. Every person in this room, I pray, would get alone with you at the top of that mountain. Father, you've called every single one of us to be one percenters. That the gospel, Lord, might we encapsulate our lives and take us over. Father, I pray that you would come right now and move upon each heart. I pray that for every one of us that when we wake on Monday morning that it won't be any difference that we will love you all the more Lord, help us to take what you invest in our lives to the people of this world. Father, in your wonderful name I pray, sanctify yourself in our hearts. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.